Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Goliath Technologies, Liquidware, and PolicyPack Software. If you enjoy the podcast each week, you have them to thank. And now for some news. MSPowerUser.com have reported that an actively exploited JavaScript engine bug has caused Microsoft to release new patches for their old Internet Explorer browsers all the way back to IE9. This is pretty interesting. Just after Microsoft had created some patches to fix issues caused by what was supposed to be the final Windows 7 patches, they have now issued a patch for IE9, which is also end of life. This vulnerability is titled CVE-2020-0674. The vulnerability information includes that a remote code execution vulnerability exists in the way that the scripting engine handles objects in memory in Internet Explorer. The vulnerability could corrupt memory in such a way that an attacker could execute arbitrary code in the context of the current user. An attacker who successfully exploited the vulnerability could gain the same user rights as the current user. If that current happens to be an administrator, an attacker who successfully exploited the vulnerability could take control of an affected system. An attacker could then install programs, view, change, or delete data, or create new accounts with full user rights. It's probably a good time to say if your users in your environment are administrators on their machines, what are you doing? You got to put a stop to that. I've seen some online actually criticizing Microsoft for releasing the patch, saying that it sends like the wrong message. You need to basically like cut off support. Otherwise, people will just hang around and think, well, if something really bad happens, Microsoft is just going to release a patch anyway. I kind of get that. But still, Microsoft should probably be a pretty good steward and help out even those who are maybe too ignorant to help themselves. The Register has reported that Apple is set to make a pretty drastic change to its Safari browser. It will no longer accept new HTTPS certificates that expire more than 13 months from their creation date. If a site is using a long-life SSL or TLS cert issued after the cutoff point, the browser is going to throw up a privacy error. It reads like you'll still be able to bypass and view the site, but obviously it's going to make a lot of uneducated or maybe not so tech savvy users pretty concerned. The aim of the move is to improve website security by making sure developers use certs with the latest cryptographic standards and to reduce the number of old neglected certificates that could potentially be stolen and reused for phishing and drive-by malware attacks. So I guess it's for the greater good. Microsoft is now working on a new service called Universal Print that will eliminate the need for print servers. I guess finally... Print servers are getting modernized. Universal Print is a cloud-based print infrastructure that will enable better print experiences for both the end users and the IT departments. Universal Print can be deployed on Azure and will be available to business and educational organizations of any size. Azure Portal will allow admins to manage their print devices without deploying print servers. 
They'll be able to register printers with Azure Active Directory, control printer properties and configuration from one central location, manage user and group access to printers across the organization, which are made visible to users through the cloud, and users seamlessly discover and print via their AAD or Azure Active Directory credentials. And the good news is the preview is available right now and you can sign up today. Several people have reported issues when trying to publish their app V applications that have leveraged a user config file. It turns out the cause of this is pretty strange. Essentially, there's an issue with the setting of a timestamp in the user config file. When the timestamp is validated, it fails because the milliseconds in the timestamp is seen as incorrect. The cause is actually from SQL Server 2016 and later. SQL got a change to improve the precision in timing, so instead of just filling in the milliseconds with all zeros like they had been doing, it's now filling in the milliseconds with the actual accurate real-time timestamp, which unfortunately is too long for AbbV to handle. There are two possible options to overcome this if you're having difficulties or trouble trying to publish some of your AppV applications. Number one, you can change the compatibility level of the database to something lower than 130. And number two, you can change the data type of the column used for the timestamp. I'll provide a link with this episode, which is episode 113. You'll find it on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links. And that article that I'm going to share has some sublinks with information on how you can execute either of those resolutions. HealthcareITnews.com reported this week that one of the largest nonprofit healthcare systems in the United States, Atrium Health, will be making the move away from their current electronic health record system, Cerner, to Epic. Might not be interesting to everyone out there, but probably interesting to those of you who work in healthcare IT. If you do, the EHR systems are pretty much the lifeblood and pain in the neck for all of us. TechCrunch.com reported this week that a group of former NSA and Amazon engineers are building what is being dubbed as GitHub for Data. It will essentially be a large repository for valuable data. The data will be anonymized, but can be leveraged by developers. It reads like it will rely on data being classified as secure before accepting it into the service. So I guess that should curtail any privacy concerns, but still, I'd be a little bit skeptical because if the data is valuable, then it's got to be something pretty, pretty juicy, I guess. But it could be pretty cool, I guess. It might give small-time developers access to a wide range of data that could enable them to do something you know, pretty impressive. So I guess watch the space. That could be pretty interesting. At the RSA conference this week, Microsoft had a couple of security-related announcements that I found pretty interesting, including the fact that their Defender ATP for Linux preview is now available. I'd mentioned that was going to become available on a previous episode of the podcast. They also showed off their Defender ATP for Android and iOS. Microsoft making security tools for Android, iOS, and Linux. 2020 is a pretty crazy year. 
Speaking of security, this week ZDNet reported that the FBI has recommended using passphrases rather than passwords for extra security. Instead of using a short, complex password that is hard to remember, they suggest consider using longer passphrase. This involves combining multiple words into a long string of at least 15 characters. The extra length of a passphrase makes it harder to crack while also making it easier to remember. The idea behind the FBI's advice is that a longer password, even if relying on simpler words and no special characters, will take longer to crack and require more computational resources. Even if hackers steal your encrypted password from a hacked company, they won't have the computing power and time needed to crack the password. It sounds like a good time to throw in my own two cents and suggest invest in a pretty good password tool, like Password One, or whatever your preference is. And also, whenever possible, MFA. If you haven't tried the Microsoft MFA in a while, they've made it a lot better. I really like the Authenticator app now and the ability to enable push notifications and just like accepting the push notification on your phone. YubiKeys are also pretty interesting. I've mentioned them probably three or four times on the podcast over the last year. And finally, congrats to all the new and renewed VMware vExperts. I am happy and proud to say that I've been renewed for 2020, so thank you to VMware. And now, a weekly webinar. My sponsor, Goliath Technologies, will be hosting a webinar with Johan van Amersfoort pulling up the hosting duties. He's going to discuss the real pain that all IT professionals face when trying to pinpoint the root cause and troubleshoot the VMware Horizon as slow complaints from their end users, especially when the problem isn't VMware Horizon. Johan's also going to be able to show you how to troubleshoot and try to prevent those end user experience issues so you never get calls and complaints in the first place. If you listen to the podcast, you're probably already familiar with Johan because I've mentioned him on a few episodes. He created the VDI design guide. So this is a guy who really knows what he's talking about. He's a VMware V expert and EUC champion too. So this is one you really want to check out for yourself. And that's going to be held on Thursday, March 5th at 11 a.m. Eastern. And if you want to register and attend... You can, and I'll share a link with this episode, which again is episode 113, and you'll find that on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links for episode 113. Alternatively, if you look in the description field of your podcast platform of choice for this episode, you should see a link to the reference links for this episode there too. And now this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. First up, the brilliant James Kinden just shared a Citrix WEM documentation script that creates a nice book containing all of your action groups, network drives, printers, and pretty much everything you set in WEM. It's kind of like those great documentation scripts that Carl Webster creates, but this one's specific to Citrix WEM, and James is pretty much an authority on WEM, so you know the report's going to include pretty much everything that you could possibly care about. This week, Tim Mangan shared a pretty detailed blog post on the package support framework and his work with it and his success rate. So this is something, if you've been following his MSI X report cards, you'll have seen the results with each edition. As MSI X has progressed, he 
lists his rate of compatibility and success with the MSIX packaging tool, but then also his rate of success when going the extra mile and trying to use the package support framework to get his applications that didn't work with the native tool working. And this blog post essentially expands on that section in the report card and also adds some context and it's a standalone blog post. So if you're interested in MSIX or even just application compatibility and delivery on Windows 10, you'll definitely want to check this one out. And finally, once again, Guy Leach is featured. If you're frustrated with your Citrix desktop session opening in screen resolutions or on monitors that you don't like, Guy has just a script for you. Essentially, his script changes the ICA file as it's being downloaded on the fly and then launches it, ensuring you're getting that screen resolution that you prefer and want and also you're getting on the monitor of your choice. The script can also install a wrapper script in the user's send to menu, which is really interesting. Um, if you're wondering you know, what that kind of looks like and maybe not making sense of what I'm saying, he's got a screenshot of that and it's pretty cool, like just being able to right click and send to your certain monitor or whatever you set. Well, that's it for another episode of the podcast. If you like the podcast, I'd appreciate if you could tell your friends about it, maybe give it a rating on your podcast platform of choice. It'll help spread the word and maybe make it more popular. Also, if you've never checked it out, maybe you listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever you prefer. You can also check out the YouTube edition of the show. And if you'd be so kind, if you could subscribe to the YouTube channel, I think there's over 200 subscribers already. But I think if you get to over a thousand, you're able to do like live streaming. I'm not sure that I would use the live streaming very much, but it could be an interesting option. You know, if I want to do like live podcasts when I'm at conferences or something like that, maybe that would be a good option. Well, that's it for another episode. Thank you all so much for listening.